0: hey there, Mountain family. Uh, this is kind of a, a tough way to start a message, but it feels right considering where we are in the story of Joseph. Can we just admit for a second? 2020's been difficult. It's like this meme from one of my favorite shows. If you could be a time traveler from the future and dropped into 2020, oh, you might not be too pumped about it, right? 2020 has felt like a pit. You realize this, I realize this, my, my kids, they're so much aware of it. You know what I hear around my house often? The words, this isn't fair. At one point, it's because my oldest took the remote from the youngest. Another, it's because they can't have a birthday party with a bunch of friends. My son doesn't understand why he can't play Fortnite for just 12 hours a day, right? And my daughter, she actually, she really misses school. My youngest, the one-year-old, I think he might be sick of me. And needless to say, my kids' problems, well, they are small apples in comparison to what's happening all around us. You know, this year, it's brought with it so much grief and sadness and disappointment and unfairness. I get this daily news briefing in my email. And at one particular point, it talks about how at the end of the year, they usually do a big recap of all the events from that year. Well, as of July 1, so much had happened in 2020. They decided to do a little halftime update. Let's check the score. And here's what the years look like so far. It started with, with fear of a major war that was going to break out due to rising conflict with Iran. The political landscape of the U.S. feels bipolar, and there are major debates and disunity from impeachment trials to primary elections, and of course, just the normal election year turmoil. Now, Kobe Bryant's death was, was felt deeply by many. My son was a big Kobe Bryant fan, so we had to navigate that with him. Then there's this thing called COVID-19 that rears its ugly head and makes itself known literally to every corner of the world. And week after week, I don't know, maybe it was day after day, governors would hold press conferences, shutting down something else in an attempt to keep people safe. Y'all, March Madness got canceled. Kentucky was going to win the title. I knew it. I could feel it. You know, schools, they closed in a hurry, upending kids' and parents' lives. Unemployment, well, it's it's hit the highest point since the Great Depression, and good luck finding toilet paper anywhere. And then, once we've settled into a new abnormal of stay-at-home, the nation's gripped by the horrific video of George Floyd's death. Concerns for injustice and unfairness come bubbling to the surface in protests around the world. There are riots, there are people in law enforcement who feel unfairly attacked, and there's just this deep sadness and heartache across the land, but especially by those people whose skin color are much darker than mine. And wildfires, they, they range from Australia to California. And somewhere in there, in the middle of it all, was this crazy-looking bug called a murder hornet. You know, its it's been difficult. And that's just what's made the major news headlines. I mean, what, what about my friends, Nancy and Greg, who have been waiting four months to have a proper celebration of life for their 26-year-old son who died of cancer in March? What about my friend who lost his job What about the singles in our community who are looking for connection but feel so closed off from the world they feel lonely? What about the parents and kids who are so stressed out and frustrated by the rapid change to their routine while not really finding any clarity as to what will happen in the fall? What about my friends who are in fear for their lives simply because of the color of their skin or those who are wondering where their next paycheck might come from? What about those who are suffering from abuse hidden from the world behind the mask of social distancing orders? What about all those weddings that have been put on hold or taken different forms altogether? The list could go on and on. Gosh, it's so much. We're only halfway through the year. You might find yourself saying, "Like this just isn't fair." I feel like I'm in a pit. Life is hard. You know, we're in this series called "Have a Great Life," and it's timely. Because I think a lot of us are wondering how that could even be possible right now. What's so great about this life? Well, let me share with you something we learned through the life of Joseph, the story we've been diving into the past couple of weeks. A great life is going to experience mountaintops, but it's also going to experience valleys. A great life will face tremendous and celebratory moments, but it will also face unfairness, disappointment, and spend time in the pit. And a lot of us, we, we feel that right now. It might actually be worth pausing for a brief moment to remind you. Nowhere in the Bible are we given a promise that the best life we can live, a life with Jesus, will be free of pits. In fact, maybe the opposite is true. You know, Jesus tells us from his own mouth, as he outlines to his disciples, how he's, he's going to die unfairly. It'll be unjust. And that'll just be the start of it. They're going to find themselves in this pit, and then persecution and displacement will follow. And Jesus is telling his followers that even they, maybe even especially those who follow Jesus, will experience the pit, but he offers us this really important reminder. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is reminding us of the promise that if we walk with the Lord, we can still have a great life, even if we're in a pit, because we have hope not just in this life, but life eternal you know paul reminds us in romans that that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time creation groans we sense it all around us trouble looms so how can we still have a great life how can we see this life as great even with so much unfairness disappointment sadness when it feels like we're in a pit be honest with you, like, I'm not sure you can if you're not walking in step with God in a relationship with Jesus. You know, all throughout Scripture, we see person after person who experiences great affliction, yet is sustained only because of their relationship with God. And one of those people is Joseph. And we learn something about what it's like to be in a pit from his story. Let's start maybe with a quick recap of the last two weeks, okay? You can grab your Bible, and you can open it up to Genesis 37, 38, and 39. When you turn there, if you, if you haven't been with us the past couple weeks in worship, I'd encourage you to hop on Facebook or YouTube and catch up, okay? It's, a, it's an important story. You see, we started when Ben outlined just how messed up Joseph's family was. Super dysfunctional, okay? Joseph was Jacob's favorite child, and everyone knew it. By the way, messed up parenting move, okay? Moms, dads, don't do that. Joseph was despised by his brothers, and after interpreting a dream that they didn't like, the result of, they did what any reasonable brothers would do. They plotted to kill him. Wait. Like, really, that's what they chose to do. One brother finally wised up and said, Let's not kill him, let's just fake his death and sell him into slavery. So they do exactly that. Joseph finds himself in a pit. Once the favorite son living the high life and fortune, now finds himself literally in a pit and then sold into slavery. I mean, what an unfair turn of events to go from favorite son to hated and sold. It wasn't fair didn't make sense, but it happened. But you know, we, we know something really important about Joseph. Joseph, he was a man of God. He lived his life, whether in prosperity or in the pit, fully trusting God. After all, as the story points out, Joseph's life points out, his relationship with God, it was hard to miss. People knew it. Even after being sold into slavery, there, there was something about the way Joseph carried himself that showed the trust he had in God. You know Genesis 39, it says that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him. Potiphar, his master, just had to interact with Joseph to know that he was walking with God. We don't know the full extent of what that means, but obviously Joseph wasn't shy about what he believes. and he obviously acted like he believed it, so much so that, that Potiphar couldn't help but notice. And he liked Joseph, and Joseph saw much success and moved his way out of the pit and up the ladder. Things were looking up. He was once again experiencing fortune. And last week, we heard that what comes next actually sends Joseph right back to the pit. He finds himself in charge of all of Potiphar's estate. He was living the high life once again. And Potiphar's wife, she takes notice of Joseph. Notice he's a strapping young lad, well built. She's attracted to him, and she tries to sleep with him. He refuses because, well, he knows it would be a sin. High five to Joseph for that, right? Like, way to go, Joseph. Joseph is walking in step with God and knows the difference between right and wrong and chooses to do the right thing. Well, life should get better then, right? Well, not not for Joseph. Potiphar's wife is embarrassed and annoyed and I guess decides to claim Joseph raped her. Without a trial or even an opportunity to offer a word of rebuttal, Joseph is moved from once again living a great life in prosperity to now locked up in a pit. Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where king's prisoners were confined. The next chapter refers to it as a dungeon. You know, Joseph's story once again shows us that even a great life is going to experience mistreatment, disappointment, frustration, frustration abandoned by his family sold into slavery falsely accused when trying to do the right thing I mean, you would think right joseph would be so fed up i mean time drags by while joseph sits in a dungeon all the while he's done the right thing all he knew at this moment was that he had, he had done the right thing and now he's suffering for it how did he respond how would you respond maybe he'd be ticked off at god Maybe you start to question some of what you believe. You might start to wonder where God is when life seems so unfair. You might start to feel abandoned. You may grow frustrated. But let me remind you what a great life looks like. Joseph, he finds himself in the dungeon, and we read these words in Genesis 39. It says, but there in jail, God was with Joseph. He reached out in kindness to him. He put him on good terms with the head jailer. The head jailer put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. He ended up managing the whole operation. The head jailer gave Joseph free reign. Never even checked in on him because God was with him. Whatever he did, God made sure it worked out for the best. You see that? Like Joseph stayed in step with God, and God showed up. Now this can feel a little swift at first glance, right? Like Joseph went to prison and then became like the king of the prison. Let's not kid ourselves. This didn't likely happen overnight. We don't know how many days Joseph found himself sitting in a cell, nothing to do, paying the price for a crime he didn't commit. Could have been days. Could have been months. But one thing this short passage does tell us, Joseph stayed in step with God. Even in the pit. The Lord was with him. And obviously there was a reciprocal relationship there. God was with Joseph and Joseph fully trusted God. And the jailer knew that God was with him. How did he know? Well, Joseph evidently acted like it. If he spent those early days in prison complaining, yelling, fighting, being disgruntled and put out, well, I'm not sure he would have received the opportunity that's now before him. Joseph didn't know what was to come in the following chapters of his life, how God would use the moment in the pit to strengthen him and build character in him for what was in the future. What's coming is pretty awesome. Joseph only knew that this was his current situation, and it stunk. But God was with him, and he was going to act like it, depend on him. God was with him in times of prosperity, and he is with him in times in the pits. The jailer noticed, and eventually, well, it led to pit prosperity, if you can call it that. I mean, he was still in jail. He could have decided to soak in his own self pity, but instead, he decided to allow God to work through him and make the most of that situation. I'm not saying it wasn't super difficult for Joseph, I'm sure it was. But we're learning firsthand how, even through hardship, the one thing that remained in Joseph's life was a radical devotion and trust in God. And that devotion continued to only strengthen Joseph. You know, Psalm 119 says, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Do you hear that? It's crazy. We can grow closer to God through affliction. Joseph knew something I hope we can hear today, okay? Even in the pit, God is with you. He will strengthen you, and he will still show up through you. And now Joseph starts to see the work of God, the hand of God through the prison experience. Ben mentioned the concept of the upper story and lower story. The lower story is what's happening right now, the things I'm experiencing in this moment. And the upper story is the plan God is working out from beginning to end, the full picture he's painting, reminding us that God offers perspective we lack. We can only see the current moment, and sometimes it's a moment of pain. But we must trust the artist who's painting the bigger picture. God's going to use this moment. He'll show up. He's not abandoned you. He's not left you. God remained first in Joseph's life. He was the focus. And you could begin to see God at work, even in his bad circumstances. This is the key to a great life. It's not whether you go to jail. It's how you respond when you do. Joseph had a relationship with God. And that relationship kept him consistent through every circumstance, not just in the good times. God was with him, and God used him in strategic and significant ways. The same is true with you and me. It's not whether you get mistreated or lose your job or unjustly accused or go through a dark period and end up in the pits. It's how you respond when you do. The great life is one that walks with the Lord through it all. Joseph, he he didn't deserve jail, but he responded to it beautifully. He was free of bitterness and anger and complacency. First and foremost in his life was his vital and consistent relationship with the Lord. Because of that, God used him in significant ways. You know, my friend Rick recently suffered from a really bad infection, caused from some underlying health concerns, At the very same time, he lost his job. It's been a really hard season for Rick and his family. I've been texting with him and his wife, checking in on him. I happened to text Rick this week, and here's what he sent back to me. He said these words that I think are just so important and maybe helpful for us all today. I just sent him a few words of encouragement. He says, thanks, Jared. Yeah, these are challenging times, but they're also a great opportunity. For us to prove to ourselves, our families, and to the world that God is faithful, He is compassionate, and He is love. I've been reminding the men in my small group on a regular basis, as each of them have encountered their own issues of hardship, to walk in the assurance that God can be trusted, He's faithful, and He's mighty. Well, talk is cheap, but walking through the dark valley in front of them leaves a deeper impact than mere words. Please pray for me as I demonstrate in real life what it means to walk in faith in a loving, heavenly Father who is in control and brings peace during the storm as the waves are rocking the boat and water splashing our face. I don't want to miss this opportunity. I don't want to miss this pit to bring God glory and show his faithfulness. What an amazing testament to how God wants to use us in the pit. And Joseph, he finds himself in this place, and he decides to lean into God's faithfulness. And now he finds himself in charge of the prison. And he has two inmates of particular interest that are under his care, the cupbearer and the baker to the king. Interesting, right? Like the cupbearer is the one who would taste the king's food ahead of time to ensure it was safe. And the baker, well, I mean, he baked. It makes you wonder, like, these guys both find themselves in prison together. Did, did the baker make a bad cake and the cupbearer didn't realize it was raw in the middle? So, hey, you, you both just go to prison. Joseph's walking around, and he stops by the cell of these two guys, and he notices that they're dejected. And he asks, say, why are you so sad? I say, we, bo- we both had dreams. There's no one to interpret them. Well, if you've been following along in the story, you know, well, they're in good hands because Joseph happens to be someone who interprets dreams. So he does. And the two dreams had two very different outcomes. The cupbearer's dream meant that he was going to be set free and put back in, in his position, a trusted friend of the king. Good news, right? Like Joseph knew the cupbearer had the ear of the king, and so he decided just to like slip in a little request. Hey, remember me when things are going well with you again? Tell the Pharaoh about me. Get me out of this place. We see some of Joseph's humanity, a desire to be set free, and and thinking he now has the inside scoop on how to get out. But don't forget the baker also had a dream. This one, well, it's not going to turn out quite as well. You got to respect Joseph's integrity. He hears the dream. He knew that it meant the guy was going to be killed. And he still delivers the bad news. He wasn't living in la-la land. He did the difficult and right thing. He told the truth. You see, having a positive attitude towards God, doesn't mean living unrealistically, telling everyone baloney. Rather, it's trust in God, even in the really hard and difficult moments. As we read in Genesis 40, it all came true as Joseph interpreted. And you'd probably be thinking, like, great, the cupbearer's restored, and he's, he's gonna put in a good word for Joseph, and he's gonna be set free. Well, not quite. It says the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Can you imagine once again how dejected Joseph must have felt? Can you imagine the disappointment. And for the next. Two years, Joseph remains in that prison. Two more years in a dungeon. Yet, still no mention of Joseph throwing his hands up, questioning God, feeling victimized. He continues to wait, trust, hope, and lean on God in his present circumstances, no matter what they are. That's what real faith looks like. To fully trust in god and prosperity or the pit we can resonate with this all of us in one way or another at some point and maybe even quite recent that we found ourselves in a pit we face mistreatment disappointment abandonment anger sickness hurt husbands left without wives and wives without husbands parents without kids kids without parents jobs lost prisoners locked away people lonely we have undeserved mistreatment or we see it taking place around us or we end up in the pit through abuse or loss of intimacy. We feel abandoned by friends, maybe by our marriage or by a business partner. Gosh, it's been a tough year. And while I'm confident things will turn around, life will still continue to have pits. When it does, we have two options. We can become disillusioned and bitter which is a slippery slope that leads to cynicism and a lack of trust in God, or we can see our difficulty, like Rick and Joseph did, as a platform for really putting our hope and trust in living God, really believing the word of Jesus, where he says, I've overcome the world, and he's with us. Difficult moments can be the very moment where we show off who God is and lean into the words of Jesus. Let's not forget, Jesus knows how you feel. He's felt pain. He's experienced abandonment. He's been betrayed. He's been abused. Yet he reminds us, his friends, that he has overcome it all. Because of that, we can have peace. We put our hope in it. Turn your trial into trust. God has not abandoned you. Has not left you. He is with you, and he will sustain you. There's a hundred different dungeon experiences, yet God knows just the right message at just the right time for those who put their trust in him. My friend Cindy went through one of those dungeon experiences last year. It wasn't betrayal from another or gross injustice. It was betrayal from her body. I'll never forget the day Cindy told me about her diagnosis. She stopped me in the lobby between two services, and she told me she had cancer. With a half smile, she said, oh, it wasn't good. She had a plan of attack, but she didn't seem too optimistic about the potential path. She told me something I'll never forget. She looked me in the eyes. She said, God's got this. Either way, if he chooses to let me keep living in this life, or if he wants to bring me home, God's got this, and I will praise him the entire way. It was a painful journey for Cindy. She lost her hair. She lost weight. She was losing her very life. Yet the entire time, as we would interact, she would tell me how blessed she was. See, even in the pit, she felt the presence of God because her hope was in Him and Him alone. And the time finally came to start making arrangements. She wanted to plan her own funeral. So we we sat down together. The only thing I could bring myself to ask her is, how's your faith? In the face of the greatest dungeon before her, I just wanted to know, how's your relationship with God? How is your faith? And she paused. As much as she could muster the strength, she got a big grin across her face, and she said, it's top of the line. Top of the line. Her hope was in Jesus. She knew that God hadn't abandoned her, forgotten her. She knew that God was with her, and this moment was only a glimpse of her ongoing eternal story with Jesus. Your complete hope can only be in one person. If it's your child, your parent, your partner, your friend, your colleague, your pastor, your coach, your spouse, their feet are going to crumble, and you'll face disillusionment, and ultimately come crashing down. The cure and the key to a great life, whether in prosperity or the pit, is to put your complete hope and trust in God and know that he will sustain you and he will bring you life to the fullest. You know, Psalm 55 was written in the pit through the lens of mistreatment and betrayal. And the writer reminds us of these words. He says, cast your cares on the Lord he will sustain you. He won't let the righteous be shaken. What pit are you in? What dungeon are you living in? Let me encourage you with this today. Surely, as Joseph knew God was with him in that pit, God is with you in yours. Lean into that hope. Turn your face to God. Cry out and trust him. Let's pray together. God, whether it's today, tomorrow, or months from now, God, we know that pits will come, that trials will be in front of us, mistreatment will happen, frustration will be all around us. God, embolden within us a desire in those moments to trust you the most, to keep our eyes on you and to know that you have a plan, and that you are there with us. You have not abandoned us. You have not left us, but you are in the pit with us, as the Psalms say. And God, for those who feel the pit right now, surround them with your church, with your people. Encourage them. Help them to see your presence through those around them. And God, help each of us when the moment comes, the desire comes, the temptation comes to to get fed up and frustrated and, and ask where God is to remember that you are with us. You have experienced what we have experienced. You have felt what we have felt. And that King Jesus, you never leave us. God, bring us comfort. Bring us steadfastness. Bring us endurance as we trust and lean and hope in you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.